0: Well, good morning again, and thank you for tuning in to Destiny Church Online. You know, this is not the way that we would prefer to gather. I know that we would love nothing more than to come to 8635 Callahan Road to crank up the lights, to crank up the sound, to crank up the worship band, and to lift our hands and lift our voices to sing praises to God. Nevertheless, week in and week out, since the government has shut us down, so to speak, you're joining in with us. You're you're logging in and you're signing on. And I just want to thank you. It shows that you love God. It shows that you love God's people. It shows that you love God's church. And so thanks for tuning in again today. It means the world to me and it I know it's gonna be good for you and and good for your soul this morning. We're gonna continue our series today in the book of Acts, this series that we started back in February. This is our 10th week now going through the book of Acts together. And back when I think about February, that that seems like another lifetime ago. I don't know if it feels that way to you, but we've continued to go through the book of Acts, even in the midst of the current season that we're in. I'm not gonna call it a crisis because it's not a crisis to God, it's just a season. It's just the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And what we found is that God's word going through the book of Acts, it continues to speak to us in the midst of the situation and the circumstance that we are in. And so we are in Acts chapter four today. So I invite you to open your Bibles there this morning. But before we get to God's Word, I want to share two things with you. The first is I want to thank Destiny Church. I want to thank every single one of you for continuing to give and to support the ministry here. I've been absolutely overwhelmed by the generosity that you have shown as you continue to support the local church and continuing to support financially the ministry of of us bringing you the word week in and week out. It's been awesome to see, and it is only because I know that God is touching your heart and moving in your heart and doing it in such a way as to give. So I wanted to say personally to each one of you, thank you. The second thing is that if you are in need, if you are in need in this time and in this season, If you are especially in need of food or basic supplies or toilet paper, um, we're here to help. And I mean that in all seriousness. If you need food, we're here to help you. Please call our office. If you're going to the refrigerator and there's nothing there in the pantry and there's nothing there in the bank account and there's nothing there, please call our church office. We wanna help you. We wanna be here for you in this time of need. The phone number for our church office is 210-349-2295, or you can also go on our website, destinychurchsa.com, and just call us, come by the office. We are here for you. We are here to help you. This is a genuine offer. If you need food, basic supplies, we're here to help you. Now, we're not here to help you pay off your 4K TV that you put on credit at Best Buy last Black Friday. We're not here to help you do that, but we are here to help you if you do need food and basic supplies. We are here for you, especially, especially, especially if you're a member of Destiny Church. No member of Destiny Church should be experiencing lack and lack of food in this time. Your church family is here to help you, to support you, and to see you through to the other side, which I know that God is bringing you to. So with that being said, we're going to pray and we're gonna jump right into God's word today in Acts chapter four. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are God who speaks. Lord, in every season, in every moment, in every circumstance, in every situation, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you for your word. We cherish your word. We have tuned in today to hear a word from you. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today and help us to live as your people, faithful to you as you are always faithful to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter 4, we are going to start in verse 32 today. And this comes on the heels. Let me just remind you of where we're at. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's poured out His Holy Spirit on the church. The church is moving forward with power. Over 3,000 souls were saved on the first day Just a few days later or weeks later, we see that that number has risen to well over 5,000 people. The apostles were arrested. They were put in jail. They were threatened to not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. They prayed to God and God poured out his spirit on them again and filled them with power and boldness. And now the story continues. Verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last and great fear Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. What an incredible series of events! There is so much here in this story, these two stories, really, that amazes me. The first thing that really amazes me was the story from chapter four. And that is the generosity that was at work in the early church. When you study the the early church, when you study the first century church, as, as we have been doing One of the things that strikes you, one of the things that impresses you is their amount of generosity. It becomes apparent that one of their defining characteristics was their love for one another and their generosity, even extreme generosity. We've already seen an account of this in Luke chapter two, verses 44 and 45, but I want to read it again for us from Luke chapter two. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is striking. This is profound. What's happening here runs contrary to human nature. This is not normal. This is not ordinary in any way have you ever seen anything like this happen naturally I submit to you that you have not so how is it that you account for this extreme generosity where does it come from how does it happen I I can think of three reasons why this was happening. And the first is that this generosity began after the Holy Spirit was poured out. We see that the disciples were gathering about 120 of them for 10 days before the Holy Spirit was poured out, but we see no record of them selling their possessions, of them taking care of each other, of them feeding each other. What we see is that after the Holy Spirit was poured out, That this new community is formed in unity, in love, in generosity, and they begin to sell their possessions. What does it mean? It means that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. That this is a work that the Holy Spirit is doing and that he is moving so powerfully in their lives. And the result is this profound unity. This is the work of the risen Christ in their midst and in their hearts. This is one of the testimonies that Jesus is risen from the dead is that he is transforming these people's hearts to do what is not natural, but to give and to give sacrificially and to give generously to any who have need. The second thing is that the early church was so devoted to expanding the kingdom of God, they were ready and willing to part with their earthly possessions. They were so ready and willing to part with their earthly possessions because they had their eyes set clearly on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. They were devoted to what Jesus taught. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. They were so devoted to expanding the kingdom of God that they sold all that they had and they brought it in to expand the work of the ministry. That's the second thing. The third thing is, is that their generosity is a free will response to Christ's generosity in salvation. That their hearts had been so touched and so moved by the free gift of God's grace that he gives out to all who would call on him in faith. This free gift, this generosity that, that God has bestowed upon us in Christ, that it moves their heart and it moves their wills. No one is forcing them. No one is compelling them. No one is telling them they have to do this. It's out of the abundance of their heart. It's in response to the generosity of Christ in salvation. This is what makes it so amazing. What makes it so amazing is it was of their own free will. It was of their own choice that they were selling their possessions and bringing the proceeds to take care of those who were in need. Now what stands in contrast to what the larger community was doing, and it tells the story about one man named Barnabas and how he had a plot of land, how he had a field, how he sold it and brought every last cent and gave it to the work of the ministry. What now stands in contrast to this generous spirit is this married couple who is filled with another spirit, who is filled with another idea, and it contrasts it by starting with the word but. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property and they chose to to lie to God and to lie to the apostles and to lie to the church. And so God strikes them dead. This also is shocking when we read this. What's shocking is what's happening through their generosity of Barnabas and others. And then what's also shocking is that God takes their life, demands their life for the sin that they have committed. What are we to do with this? What are we to think about this? What is it that God is trying to tell us and trying to tell this community by by doing this? And I'll be honest with you, it, it is shocking to me. But here's what God is communicating. He takes this seriously. God takes this seriously. And if God takes it seriously, we too must take this seriously. So what was their sin? What was it that they did wrong? Well, Peter tells Ananias in verse 3, He says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. Down as we continue into verse four, he says, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. Listen, Ananias, you thought you were pulling a quick one over on me and pulling a quick one over on the apostles. You haven't lied to men. You haven't lied to the church. You haven't lied to the apostles. You have lied to the Holy Spirit, who is God. This was his sin. He thought he could fool God. He thought that he could somehow lie to God and get away with it. Listen, dear friends, you cannot. God knows the truth. I might not know the truth. Nobody else may know the truth. That's okay. But God knows the truth. I see this all the time. I I, I see it all over the place. I saw it on Facebook this week. I also saw it on someone's bumper sticker. It reads, only God can judge me. Listen, dear friends, that is the most scary and terrifying statement in the whole world because God's judgment is perfect. God's judgment demands perfection. I I would much rather be judged by an imperfect, immoral, morally compromised and, and flawed person that can relate to me and my rationalizations for sin. Here we see God issuing his judgment against Ananias and Sapphira for their sin. Their sin to conspire together and to lie against God. And what it tells us is that God takes these things very seriously. You see, it's not just about giving money. Giving is an act of worship. And they were tainting their worship and the worship of the church by this fraud, by this facade, by this lie. And lying, we know from John 8, is one of the defining characteristics of Satan. That Satan is the father of lies and that all lies come from Satan. It's the opposite of God's character who can not lie. And so instead of listening to God and listening to the Holy Spirit, they were listening to Satan and letting him fill their hearts. As Peter says in verse three, Why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart? The land was theirs. The money was theirs. They could have done whatever they want with it. Peter even said that, listen, before you sold the land, didn't it belong to you? Before, after you sold it and you had the money, didn't the money belong to you? Why is it that you've done this thing? You didn't have to bring us all of it. Nobody's making you do that. So why did you lie about it? Why would they do this? Well, it's because they were trying to use what God was doing in the church for their own glory. They were trying to use this incredible thing that God was doing by His Spirit in the church, uniting them, the work of the risen Christ in the community. And instead of God receiving the glory and being glorified for it, they conspired to use the ministry and use the church not for God's glory, but for their own glory. They wanted people to say, wow, look at how awesome Ananias and Sapphira is. Wow, let's give them a big hand. Let's give them a hand clap. Let's let's see, let, let's put them on a pedestal and 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 look at wow, look at this wonderful thing that they've done. That's what they were wanting, the praises of men. Listen. Praise only belongs to one, and it is God. God will not share his glory. Isaiah 42, 8 says that clearly. And so for us, really, the question that lays before us this morning is, does the church look more like Barnabas or look more like Ananias and Sapphira? Does the church today, the modern church, does it look more like Barnabas in his act of selfless sacrifice and love or is it filled more with people like Ananias and Sapphira? Now I believe with all of my heart that destiny church is filled with Barnabas's is filled with people who are having their hearts changed and transformed, who are filled with the Spirit of God and with generosity. I see it week in and week out, and we have seen it on display even in the midst of this current situation that we are in. God's people at Destiny Church are like Barnabas, let me tell you that, but as we look at the church as a whole, not just Destiny Church in San Antonio, Texas, but the church as a whole in America, what we have to say and conclude is that the modern church looks almost nothing like this early church. Not Destiny Church, but the church as a whole in America, most Christians balk at, reject, refuse the idea of giving even a tithe, giving even a 10% of their income. Here we see in the early church, they're not giving 10%. They're not giving 20, 25, 30, 40, 50, 60. They're giving all that they have. All that they have so that those who are in need can have their needs met and provisions taken care of. And the sad truth and the sad reality is the church in America today kind of refuses and refutes this idea of of giving even 10%. When you look at the national averages, again, not Destiny Church, but the national averages. I find the numbers to be shocking, and I think they will shock you as well. The percentage of Christians that tithe in America, this number is shocking to me. The percentage of Christians that tithe in America is 4%. 4% of Americans, the richest country on the face of the planet in the history of the world, only 4% of Christians give a tithe to their local church. I'm not saying that Christians give 4% of their income. It's actually much worse than that. But only 4% give 10% of their income. The average Christian gives about 2.5% of their income. And this is not, I'm not talking recent in the last 10 weeks. I'm talking before coronavirus. I'm talking before the economy was shut down. The average Christian, 2.5% of their income to the church. Here's a number that will shock you. During the Great Depression the average Christian gave 3.3% of their income. During the Great Depression people were giving more to the work of God than in recent times. And what we find is is that as someone's income increases their likelihood to tithe decreases. So this idea of, I can't afford to tithe, it's actually not accurate because the more, the the statistics are that the more money you make, the less likely you are to tithe. So for example, people who make more than $75,000, only 1% of those people tithe to the local church. I find these numbers to be incredibly depressing and sad. And when we look at these numbers, unfortunately, we have to conclude that the church looks more like Ananias and Sapphira in America than it does Barnabas. And what does this mean? It means it's a shame. I find this to be a nasty stain on the church's reputation here in America. And listen, it's not about the money. It's really not about the money. It's about the condition of the heart. It's about the testimony of what Christ is doing in your heart and in your life. And so today, what I want to do is in conclusion, I want to share with you eight principles of Christian giving. Eight principles of Christian giving. Destiny Church, this is going to be a reminder to you. I've taught on these eight uh, several times before. But in conclusion today, I want to give them to you as a reminder of what it means to be a Christian and the expectation that is on us to be givers. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one of them. We're going to walk through them quickly, but we will put the scripture references on the screen. You can pause the video. You can read them later. You can take a screenshot or a picture and uh, you can study it later. The majority of them are from 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. So the first definition or, or characteristic of Christian giving is that it should be sacrificial. That it should be sacrificial. What does that mean? That means you should feel it. That means it should cost you something. David said, I will not give to the Lord something that does not cost me anything. And we know that David was a man after God's own heart. It should cost you something. You should notice it, you should feel it in your Christian giving that is sacrificial. The second is that Christian giving, as you give and support your local church, It proves your love. It proves your love for God. It proves your love for the church. It proves your love for God's people. It proves your love for the Great Commission. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now you can definitely give without loving. There's no question in that. I give every week to the IRS. I don't love the IRS, but I send my money there. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. The very definition of love is to give and to give sacrificially. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Giving proves your love. The third is that giving is in accordance to your means. It's according to what you have. Don't compare your giving with somebody else's. It's not about that. It's about what you have. It's according to your means. It's using a portion of what you have to support the work of God. We all are to be givers and to be giving in proportion to what God has given us. That is called stewardship. Number four is that Christian giving should be generous. What does that mean? It means you don't have to have your arm twisted to give. That when there's an opportunity and you see a need arise, that your heart overflows with generosity. And you say, you know what, God has blessed me. I wanna be a blessing to others. Number five is that Christian giving should be cheerful. It means when it's time for the offering, We should see the pearly whites, that everyone should have a smile on our face. Jesus said, God loves a cheerful giver. It means we don't give with anger or begrudgingly, or well, I guess if I've gotta give, I'm gonna put in my 10% and not one penny more. No, God doesn't love that kind of giving. Give cheerfully, give with a heart of joy and a spirit of generosity. Number six is that Christian giving should be consistent. That means it should be part of your regular pattern of life. How often should you give? Well, I truly believe it should be as often as you receive. That as you are paid, you take a portion of that and you give it and invest it into the kingdom of God and the local church. So for me, we are paid weekly. I give weekly. Heather and I uh, are are tied aside and we give to the church weekly. Some of you are paid bi-weekly and so you give bi-weekly. Some of you are on a, a monthly income and you run your budget monthly and you give monthly. What The point is that there should be a pattern. There should be a pattern of consistent giving. It shouldn't be once in a blue moon. And you try to get caught up and, oh, yeah, well, I'll get back on track here. And then you fall off again. No, no, no. What the Bible teaches us is that when we give, it should be consistent. It should be a pattern of giving. Number seven is that your giving should go towards supporting your pastor. Now, I don't enjoy teaching about giving. And this point is even more difficult for me to teach. But what we see in the scripture clearly is that God's people are to support their pastor financially. And let me tell you, I believe this with all my heart. It is to your best interest that your pastor can devote his time to prayer, to studying the word and to shepherding the flock. God's people are the most blessed when the pastor is not having to worry about where his next meal is coming from, or he's not having to work and labor outside of the ministry to bring an income in, that God's people are most blessed when the pastor can devote himself to the reading and the studying of God's word, to prayer for the people of the church and to shepherding the flock of God. The vast majority of pastors are not as blessed or fortunate or whatever as we are here at Destiny Church, because the vast majority of pastors, even in America, are bivocational. What this means is that the vast majority, and if my memory serves me correctly, I believe it's somewhere between 85 and 90 percent of pastors, senior pastors in America have to work a second job to bring in income. There's only one reason for that. It's because... The people of God in that church are not giving as they should. And who suffers for that? Well, the pastor does, but who suffers even more is the people. Because the pastor is not able to devote himself to the scripture, devote himself to prayer, and to devote himself to shepherding the flock. It is honestly a self-serving thing when you support your local church because the ministry that you will receive is better. Finally, number eight, your giving should go and be towards supporting your local church. We believe in supporting other Christian ministries. We support so many of them at the church through missionaries, and we encourage that. But what we encourage is that that is the above and beyond after you have supported the local church here And so we believe in this giving of your tithes and offerings to the local church because it is taught so clearly in the scripture. Again, I want to emphasize that Destiny is a generous church, that I and the pastors here are so fortunate that you support the ministry here and that you give, you give sacrificially and you give generously. And we started teaching in Acts way before all of this hit the fan here in the economic downturn in America. So this message to you today has nothing to do with the financial position of the church. It has nothing to do with the current events. We're just teaching the scriptures because that is what God has called us to do. And as you as God's people respond you will also experience God's blessing and favor in your life. And so I want to encourage you, Destiny Church. You are an example. You are a model church. I am so privileged and so blessed to be called your pastor. And I feel the love, even as we have not been able to be together, through your giving. And I want to thank you for doing that. And I want to encourage all of us To continue to, like Barnabas, follow the pattern of generosity that was set forth by our Lord Jesus. Who, though he was rich, became poor so that we could experience the riches of heaven. The riches of salvation. The riches of eternal life. Let's follow in his example of generosity. I want to encourage you again to look around your community, to look around your neighborhood, to check in on your neighbors, see how they are doing. I know that some of them probably need some help. And I want to encourage you to be generous to them in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how, with how generous you are to each one of us and that you in this time are proving yourself to be faithful, that you are faithfully taking care of your people. Lord, in this time, we trust in you to supply all of our needs according to your riches in glory. Lord, help us to follow your example of generosity as we give to support the ministry, as we give to support others, as we look not only for our own interests, but as we are moved by the Spirit of God to give generously, to give cheerfully, to give regularly, to even give sacrificially. Thank you for Destiny Church and your spirit that is at work in the midst of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.